You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Alan Smithy was here, aka Cab Ride Kiss, by Slippin' Mickeys on AO3. Rating Mature. You can't hail a cab in LA, Mulder says to her. She's standing on Pico Boulevard, cars whizzing past at speeds far too fast for the middle of a city. She's still wearing that little black dress and the headband that makes her look like a co-ed. She's got a hand up like she's on Fifth Avenue in New York. And he just knows they're going to be here all night. Him stuck in this starchy monkey suit, leaning against the fence in front of stage 26, while a bored security guard watches them from 20 yards away. Says who? Scully asks, not looking back at him. She's still focused on the road. BMWs drive by, Jaguars, Audis, a few Accords and one Chevy Cavalier, just like the one she used to drive. No taxis, though. Do they even have taxis in L.A.? Everyone, he says. It's, it's known. She grunts something, but doesn't move from her spot. Pretty soon a Lexus or something is going to pull over and offer her a ride. Christ, he would. She's a fucking vision. After he'd made a break from the Zanuck Theater on the 20th Century lot, she found him moping on stage five. The soundstage still dressed from a movie they'd wrapped months ago. She pulled him away with a promise of a night on the town with the bureau credit card. But then she found a cold bottle of champagne hidden away in an icy bucket just inside the Zanuck lobby, sweating in the L.A. heat, and she'd swiped it and backed away from him tearing the foil off the top and luring him with her eyes. It had probably been waiting for some swaggering studio executive with a too large paycheck and a bunch of bad notes. But this wasn't Agent Scully. This was Dana, who had stolen her mom's cigarettes and ridden a pumper trunk from prom. She'd steal a bottle of you if you left it sitting there unguarded, and she'd goddamn enjoy it. They'd ambled down the empty asphalt in between stages, past star wagons, propped up on cinder blocks, and empty golf carts parked at angles. She'd popped the cork out of the bottle with a practice twist and had taken a frothy swig, wiping a foaming drip from her chin with the back of her hand as she passed him the bottle. He'd taken a long pool, his gaze never leaving hers. There was a challenge in her eyes tonight, a dare, something unnamed and dangerous, brimming with potential energy past sound stages and production offices, under an arch of fluorescent bougainvillea. They'd wandered, the bottle getting lighter, her shoes finding their way into his hands, dangling by the straps of his long fingers. They'd passed a random brass bust of Homer Simpson's head and strayed, quite by accident, onto the studio backlot. The building's merely plywood edifices of an artificial grungy New York street. She'd kissed him there in front of a fancy-looking royal diner, kissed him stupid and surprised, raised up on the tippiest of toes and whispering in his ear that they should head back to the hotel. He nodded at her dumbly and followed her south through the studio gate, their bottle of champagne, warm and holding only flat dregs left forgotten on the artificial Bronx sidewalk. And now he stood, ever so slightly tipsy, watching a petite woman try to hail a cab in a taxiless city, her shoes still dangling from his hand. 
We can maybe catch a bus or something, he offered lamely. Turning back to look at the nearby security kiosk, thinking maybe the guy would let them use his phone. He's thinking of the king-size bed in his seventh-floor hotel room and all of the things they could be doing in it. He's waited years for this, decades it feels like. He has lifetimes worth of pent-up love, eons of affection. He's been saving up his kisses and finally she's come to collect. Why would we need a bus, she says. And when he turns back to her, she's standing there, barefoot and smug on an L.A. sidewalk, holding open the back door of a yellow Crown Vic, an honest-to-God licensed Los Angeles taxi cab, engine running, meter poised to start, ready to whisk them through the chute of the Wilshire Corridor and onto the door of their Beverly Hills Hotel. He's so grateful he feels his knees go weak, but still manages to drag himself the ten or so feet to Scully's side. After you, he rambles, not even hiding that he's watching her ass as she scoots across the dark vinyl. He follows her a moment later and closes the door on the sounds of traffic. Inside, the car smells of evergreen air freshener, old spice, and maybe a hint of stale cigarette smoke. The driver, a burly man with thick black mustache, sits behind a plexiglass barrier. Mulder's knees hit where the thick plastic is screwed into the back of the seat, so he has to sit with his legs spread wide, his left leg coming up against the warm skin of Scully's bare knee. The four seasons on Donahue, please, he says to the driver, who merely grunts and flicks on the meter, pulling away from the curb with a high chirp that suggests the car's tires probably need replacing. They roll through blocks of chic houses that make up Century City, all of which used to sit on Foxland until the film Cleopatra cost the studio so much money that it was forced to sell off more than half. Mulder sits Scully's shoes gently on the seat in between them and nods towards the floor. How are your feet, he asks. Better now I'm off them, she answers, her tongue swiping across her lower lip decadently. He wants to say something like, you're going to be off them the rest of the night, but it seems crass. And she's the one who's ever so slightly out of character tonight. She's the one running this show. As the cab hooks right up Beverly Glen, the parabolic momentum sends him sliding across the bench seat and into her side. And she looks up at him as the car straightens and all the potential energy that's been crouching there in her eyes turns kinetic. She hoists herself up off the seat with both palms and presses the twin pillows of her lips into his. This time there's no stunned pause on his part, no time for her to pull back, even to whisper something suggestive in his ear. This time he kisses her back, both hands on her cheeks, fingers splayed in the V around the cups of her ears. She's not getting away. He won't let her. Her mouth tastes heavenly, like warm spring and alcohol, the effervescent rush of champagne still lingering on her tongue, sending a surge up the back of his neck, like a bead of bubbles running up a glass flute. He feels loose and warm from the booze, pliant, his muscles like tepid water, slushing around the side of a bathtub. Scully leans into the kiss, plants her hand on the vinyl seat between his legs, just to hold herself up, just a better angle, her ingress, but her hand is dangerously close to his eager cock, and the material of his dress pants is very, very thin. He thinks he hears himself groan, the light leaking into the car from outside is an orangish sodium glow. The collected illumination of street lamps and security lights 
the dull gleam off the matte canvas of a billboard hawking the fabricated story of their lives. How Wayne Fetterman could ever hope to capture an ounce of Scully's particular brand of mystique is an X-file in itself. Mulder hasn't scratched the surface, and he's spent seven years trying. The light makes her hair appear even redder, like a carmine bloom just under the surface of a dark lake. He pulls the headband from her hair, freeing it, and her just a little bit. Another right and they're headed east again, the turn pulling them briefly apart. Scully's eyes are round and wet, a mirror of her lips, which glisten in the dull glow from the dashboard. The driver, silent and stern, keeps flicking his eyes to the rear view. Let him watch, Mulder thinks. Let him get an eyeful. He moves in more slowly this time, brushing his lips over hers lightly, a fluttering like moth wings over a light. She breathes into him, a shuddering, excited sound. It makes his cock jump in his lap. But he makes no move to deepen the kiss, just moves his hand to the round curve of her bare knee, stroking the skin there with his thumb. He could spend hours here, learning the individual creases of her lips by feel, but hours are really all they have left before they have to fly back to D.C., and he intends to use the time on other pursuits. Impatient, she flicks her tongue out, trying to draw out his, and it works, chasing her of its own volition. It's no use fighting it. He always comes when she calls. Their kiss is slow and elaborate, her breath hot on his upper lip. Up front, the cabbie opens his window a crack, flooding the car with the smell of cut grass and night water. They're on Wilshire now, rolling through the improbable golf courses that fans out on either side of the roads and abuts skyscrapers on two ends. He opens one eye briefly. They're fogging up the windows of the car. How can she be real, he marvels. She wields guns and scalpels, science and facts. She saved him and yelled at him and snapped his bones back into place. She kisses with energy and a plum of a water sprite. They finally hit a red light as they reach the western border of Beverly Hills, the car rolling to a stop under a half-full moon. Mulder pulls back from her with a wet-sounding slurp, squeezing her knee in apology. He feels compressed and overwrought, his breath coming in over eager little puffs. Scully merely grins at him and slides back in as the car starts moving again. A crash of love hits him so hard his psyche spins out into the night. This woman regularly carved the still hearts out of the dead, but she scooped out his years ago, still beating and warm, and held it even now in her hands. However they might be clutching at the scratchy wool of his tuxedo jacket, he wonders if she knows. There's a mighty jostle under them however many minutes, hours, years later, the front bumper sliding over the steep concrete brim of the hotel driveway. And before he knows it, it's a livered doorman has swung open his door, letting in the nighttime noise and the blazing light from the lobby. They disengage, looking at each other a little embarrassed, and he gives her a look that makes her smile. The cabbie mutters a dollar amount at them, and Mulder doesn't really hear him over the roar of blood in his ears. He just hands him a couple of twenties and slides out of the cab. Scully follows, moving demurely, and holding her strappy heels with a manicured finger. He has the strongest desire to sweep her off her feet and carry her the rest of the way upstairs, but instead holds out a hand, which she takes firmly, twisting her hands so their fingers are intertwined. 
Beside them, the car door closes and the cabbie sweeps away back into the night. His heart falters a little bit, thinking of the short time they have left, how it's not nearly enough. If he could conjure more, he'd do it, pay whatever price the magic asks of him. But then he looks down, and Scully's looking up, her eyes the same blue as the Saragossa. She has somehow managed the impossible tonight. Perhaps she can manage a little bit more. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>